Let's go for it, then, he decided, killing the lights and the motor, and the pair of them leapt out of the black leather kid-glove security of the car's interior. As they splashed side by side through the almost ankle-deep water, Richard turned. The wind blew his raincoat collar up around his cheeks, the right point just reaching the white line of the scar along his cheekbone. The wild blue dazzle of his eyes narrowed between long, dark lashes beneath the wind-ruffled jumble of his blue-black hair. The Bentley's lights flashed, confirming that the deadlocks were on. She sat, sleek, squat and strong, beneath the downpour. It had almost been worth the brief cooling it had brought to his usually blissful marriage, he thought, when his wife Robin had discovered that he had gone for the James Bond classic sports car option rather than the more sedate Arnage she had wanted him to buy. "'Come on!' called Mary. A disorientating mix of the pair of them running recklessly on without him, and he turned to follow her as the rain returned with renewed fury, blissfully unaware that this was the last time he would ever see his beloved motor-car, how close he would come to never seeing his beloved wife again, either, how close, in fact, he and Mary were to a thunderously explosive death at this very instant. Out on the River Medway, hidden behind the long-covered slipway buildings, the tide was coming to the flood. The weather had frightened away all but the most intrepid pleasure-boaters, and there were precious few commercial vessels out and about these days. The rain-pocked surface of the grey-brown stream was all but empty, therefore. The banks stood deserted, too, for not even the most dedicated fishermen would want to brave yet another deluge. Rochester, Chatham, and Gillingham cowered on their hilltops above the dockyard, as though nervous to be so near the restless sky. The Isle of Grain on the far shore looked more like the Isle of Mud. The big pleasure-boat, Jupiter, powering upriver from the south, pounding northwards with the tide beneath her counter, would have turned more than a few heads if there had been anyone much to watch her progress. She was the better part of sixty feet long, a sleek, white, Greek-built gin-palace with a racily raked bridge-house three decks high to the bridge itself. She would certainly have turned the heads of the Kent and Essex police forces, and indeed of the river police as well, if there had been any out and about. For she had been stolen from her anchorage in the fashionable marina at Burnham-on Crouch in Essex a week earlier. During the interim, she had been hidden in a covered dock at the head of one of the tiny waterways flowing into the Thames, just as they did in Dickens' days, up in the Pool of London, upriver of the Isle of Dogs. Here... Her cavernous interior, the size of a couple of London double-decker buses, had been packed to the gunnels with high explosives, fuses, and timers. There were two young men aboard her now, guiding her rapidly and purposefully northwards on top of the tide towards her final destination. Like Mary, they both wore fashionable T-shirts, jeans, and trainers under their rainwear but they also wore kefir scarves and takia skullcaps. If everything went to plan, one of the men would die with the beautiful vessel and with the victim she would claim, though he alone of all of them would be transported directly into Jana, the paradise, as the mullah in the madrasa had promised, while the other would survive, if such was the will of Allah, 
and follow a longer and more devious, but oh, so carefully calculated path to Shahada, martyrdom, and ultimate glory. Richard saw that there was an unexpected level of security as soon as he reached the visitor's entrance. Years of experience told him at a glance that the young man with the open raincoat, lounging apparently innocently beside the entrance barrier, was an armed security officer, counter-terrorism command, or MI5, on special assignment by the look of things. In the old days, he would have suspected special branch, but the branch had been subsumed into the new counter-terrorist order now, at every level from the Mets to the Home Office. On the other side of the barrier stood two police officers, one male and one female, both in uniform and stab vests, both armed. That explained the black saloon that was sitting in the best parking spot, Richard thought, his eyes suddenly narrow and his mind racing.